0: So the year was 1517. That's 500 years ago. The year was 1517 and the pastor of the church in a place called Wittenberg, Germany, back then it was the church was the Catholic church. At least in the west it was called the Roman Catholic Church. The only other Christian denomination was a church that we're going to come to call the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Eastern Church, and it's a church that had been divided some uh, 500 years before that because of the Crusades and because of the, the war that was happening uh, around 900 or 1,000. For 500 more years, the church had split into to two different churches, East and, and West. By far the largest group of Christians in the world in the 1500s, 1517, was a group called Roman Catholics. And in 1517, on this day, a man by the name of Martin Luther, who was a priest, he was a pastor in the church of this little town in Wittenberg, Germany, went up to the door of the church, and on that he put a piece of paper where he had written 95 bullet points. And in each of these, what he said is, I'm going to be back here tonight, and I would like to have a discussion, a debate, a conversation about any of these 95 points, he said, because there are 95 things I think we need to start talking about in our faith that has come uh, to be known as Luther's 95 Thesis. In other words, 95 things that he said the church needed to reconsider. What was happening in the world at this time? Well, you know this is 1517. So if if you're a student of history, you know that in 1492, uh, Columbus had circumnavigated navigated that uh, that Atlantic Ocean, and he had discovered America. Well, we know. That wasn't quite right. We know that there was a man by the name of Vespucci that had already done that. But for Spain and that part of Europe, this was was major, 1492. Just a few years after that, 25 years or so, in 1517, over in another part of Europe, that, that was Spain where Columbus came from. He was funded by one of the great purges of Europe of that day that happened in the 1490s. We think about, well, what happened in America in the 1990s? Well, for those of us that are old enough, you remember we were coming out of the 80s and there were all kinds of things that were going on. We had had lots of terror attacks kind of in the 70s and early 80s, and the 80s had been kind of quiet, and the 90s, we decided, we decided since we weren't in any major wars yet, maybe we needed to start another one of those. We, we figured since we hadn't been arguing much anymore, we probably needed to pick up political arguments and start doing that again. So the 80s were relatively quiet, at least in my memory. I was a young man. I was in the army through, uh, through those mid-80s. In Europe, in the, in, in the 1490s, there was a great purge that happened, and it was the purge of all of the Jewish people out of Europe. They took all their property, and they pushed them up into the northern states, and by the northern states, I'm going to talk about places, I, I, I'm talking about places like Ukraine and Yugoslavia. All of those places that, essentially, four to five hundred years later, we know what's going to happen. There's going to be another great Jewish purge, right? Just several hundred years later, we're going to call that World War II. That happens in the twentieth century, the 1900s, and we talk about the six million of the Jewish uh, Jewish people that were killed in Nazi Germany in the 1900s. But we don't we don't talk about the 12 million Jewish people that were killed in the Ukraine, under Soviet Russia. We don't talk about in China and, and in those areas up there where some of the Jewish people went, the, the great purge of Jews in these great northern states. Why were they there? Because we had pushed them up there from Europe in the 1490s. And they had had another three to 400 years to acquire wealth and, and, and establish families and hometowns. Well, here we are, 500 years later. Here we are, 500 years later, 1517. That's what the world looked like. We know that another 100 years is going to see the birth of uh, the United States. In the 1600s. We're going to see Jamestown be settled and and all those things in American history. And so we're going to have these several hundred years from then till now. But 1517 is, is that important date in church history because it's the date in which the church is going to split now, not east and west, but it's going to split denominationally. And this split is going to come down to three basic things. And that's what we call the Reformation. This is Reformation Sunday. This is the Sunday that Martin Luther went to his church and nailed up on the door of that church rather than be the pastor that was going to preach that day. He was the pastor that was going to challenge the church that day. And we know that that challenge went all the way up to the Pope himself. And Germany is going to to rebel against the Catholic Church. And the princes of Germany are going to protect Luther. All, All this history is going to be made. But three things. It all boils down to three things. We were still going to believe in Jesus Christ. We were still going to believe that we all needed to be forgiven. We were all still going to be asking the same questions 500 years later. What happens when I die? We're going to be asking the same questions. What is authority in this world? How do I know what is truth and what is not truth? Those questions aren't going to change. And Luther said, if you boil 95 different bullet points down, he said, we've got three issues in the church that we really need to talk about. And so for Reformation Sunday, I want to remind you that we have three basic issues in the church that we really need to talk about. The first issue that Luther said we desperately needed to talk about was what was the authority that we were going to use in the church. And he used these two words, by, in in his thesis. He said, by, and then he said, whatever it was in the middle, and he ended it with, and that alone. Okay? So what he said in terms of authority, he said, what's our authority going to be? Well, you know in 1517, what was the authority? Pope. The Pope spoke for God. So if you had any kind of questions about life, well, the Pope would go to the Bible and then he would, by edict or bull, tell us what was going on. By the way, in, in the history of people, when we say the phrase, and that's no bull, okay, I know that some people think that comes from a cuss word, and that's not what that came from. That came in history from this idea, that is no papal bull. That is no bull. In other words, this isn't wrong. This didn't come from some flawed source. This is the truth. That's what, and that's no bull means. It means, and that's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Well, that didn't come from a cuss word. So rest at ease if you ever use, and that's no bull. What you're really saying is, This is just the way it is. And that was picked up because of the papal bulls that the Pope would issue that says, and this is the truth, and maybe it was the truth, and maybe it was just what the Pope wanted the truth to be. Luther said, that can't be a part of our relationship with God. That can't be a part of truth in this world. I mean, the Pope is a smart guy, but he's not God. He's not God. And so what Martin Luther said was this. In, in, uh, he, he took it back to the book of Titus. And he said, uh, actually he took it back to the, 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 uh, the book of Timothy. And what Luther said was, all Scripture, not just the Scripture that you want to use for this Sunday, but all Scripture is the authority of life. It is what helps us answer questions. 1 Timothy 2. If you want to go and say, well, how do I know that that the Bible answers my questions? Because Timothy tells us that Scripture is the foundation upon which we build things. Now, in, in 2020 then... What questions do we have to answer? Well, we live in a postmodern age, and I would say to you, we are so far beyond a postmodern age that we haven't even caught up to it yet. In other words, the postmodern age said, there is no such thing as truth. Talk to any young person today, and by young, I mean generation Z, I mean anybody that's 22, 23 years age on down. And they will look at you like you're crazy if you say there's no truth. But you talk to the millennials, and you say, there is truth. And, and our millennial generation, about 24 through about 40 years of age, will look at you and say, what are you talking about truth? There's no such thing as absolutes. Our young people, you see, we are beyond postmodern. Our young people are looking at the millennials. Our generation Z is looking at the millennials, and they're saying, that can't be. There has to be something that's true. And I'm going to tell you, our Gen Zs are looking for that. Martin Luther said to a a generation that was fighting about, do we look to the Pope to tell us what's real in this world? Remember, it's, it's in 1520 that Magellan is going to do what? If anybody knows their history. Is going to circumnavigate the globe. Now, the only way you do that is if the world is round. You don't circumnavigate the globe if the world is flat, okay? There was a belief out there that came from the church, and it came from the top, that said, this is what the earth looks like, and that's truth. And there were people that had been sailing the oceans that said, what? That's not the truth. And Magellan finally proved it. Because he started and he circumnavigated the entire globe. That's going to happen in just a few years. And it's going to happen to to challenge and say, we really have to decide what truth is. And what Luther's main point in life, one of the three main points that he's going to make, is that the Word of God is the foundation of all truth. Now, is the Word of God going to tell you that Uh, that the world is round rather than flat you're going to have to have science that's going to help you with that and you're going to have to have common sense that helps you know that but the word of God tells us that God created the heavens and the earth the word of God tells us that God made the sun and and when we look at the sun we know that the sun is round it's not a flat disc out there that's just two-dimensional So there there is some common sense that goes into that. You don't look at the Bible and see that the Bible tells you that that if you get bit by a snake, God will take care of you. So you go and you pick up a snake. That's not what it means by truth of the Bible. It means that if you ground your faith in God and your, your ideas of what is real in the word of God, then brothers and sisters, you can do science all day long. And science can change. And you can learn new things from it. But let me tell you what it's never going to do. It's never going to contradict the fundamental basics of the Word of God. If you truly do science. But the Word of God is not going to tell you whether or not there's global warming or not. But it is going to tell you how we are supposed to treat the planet that God gave us. It is going to help us know those basic things. So, Luther said... 1517 we're 500 years removed from that and I would say to you it hasn't changed You've got all kinds of things you can trust out there to tell you the truth I would say to you as people of faith Luther was right 500 years ago and he's right in 2020 And that is as the people of God scripture is the foundation of our faith If you don't begin the conversation by talking about scripture You're not going to get to the answers of God You're only going to get to the answers that man can give you. So don't get rid of the Bible. It is one of the big ones. Because remember, 95 Thesis was about, we need to get rid of these things from the church. And Luther says, it is by the word of God alone. Remember, by and alone that we begin the discussion of truth. Second thing that he says in, in this is, so remember, Word of God is one of the things that are indispensable. The second thing he says, and this is where he's going to go to Titus. He's going to, use, he's going to use Titus, and he's going to say this. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior, this is Titus, the second chapter. And it begins in verse 4. And he's going to say this. When, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... Not by the works of righteousness. Don't worry about this. I'll I'll tell you what this means. Not by the works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, that's when He saved us. Okay? Remember, by and alone. By grace alone is what Luther's going to say. But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's God that lives within us. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by grace, we should become heirs. This is the question of what happens to me when I die? That's a big question in 1517. That's not as big a question in 2020. I believe that's because in 2020, average life expectancy is 77 years of age. In 1517, average life expectancy is 38 years of age, 40 years of age. They, They weren't living that long back then. So you better make peace with your maker by the time you're 20 or 25. Because if the average life expectancy is in the late 30s, that means we got a lot of people dying when they're young, 20s. We got a few people that are dying at 60 and 70 but not very many of them. And it tends to be the wealthy people, the people that can afford food, the people that can afford the best medicines of that day at least. But good grief, we've more than doubled life expectancy in 500 years. Now we live to 78 years of age. You can make it to 60 years of age before you have your first heart attack and have to worry about whether or not you're going to die. We had a man just this last week. And his widow and I were were sitting there talking. He was 80 plus years of age. I'm sure she's watching on television and she knows who I'm talking about. How heartbreaking it is that he never had to go to the doctor a day in his life until two weeks ago. Until six months ago, somebody started telling him, there's something that's not working right in your body. And within a week, she has had to say goodbye to him. Brothers and sisters, that's that's 80 years old. He could have waited 80 years to wrestle with the idea of, well, what happens to me after I die? Now, thank heavens, he spent a lifetime as a follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't wait till he was 60, 70, or 80 to think about this reality. Folks, you and I are going to die. And we don't have to think about that because of modern medicine and because of uh, ample food and and antibiotics and all kinds of wonderful stuff. I mean, our biggest argument is, do we wear a mask or do, do we not wear a mask? That's our biggest argument in life because our doctors can do so much for us. In 1517, Luther says, if you want to have the conversation about salvation, you better have the conversation about how is it that you get to God. That was a big big conversation then. And I'm going to say you, I'm going to tell you it's not as big of a conversation in 2020 because people don't have to think about what happens after you die. And all of a sudden when your body starts to fail you or the body of one of your loved ones, now you're in my office. Tim, are all those things I learned in Sunday school true? Is heaven real? Well, what is heaven really like? Luther says, let me tell you what it takes to get to God. By grace, the unmerited favor of God. It's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven, Luther says. Do you want to think about that in 2020 as a person of faith? Do you want to consider, even though you're 40, even though you're 20, uh, maybe you're 60 or 70. Do you want to think about what it's going to take for you to be right with God? Luther says, when you have that question, let me tell you, if scripture is the foundation of truth, let me tell you what the answer to that is. We've got two things in 2020 that you can go to. You can go to hyper grace, which is everybody is okay with God no matter what. And you can go to the extreme other view that talks about total depravity. Nobody is okay with God. Now in both of those, God's going to decide in the church. But whichever camp you live in, you're going to have to figure out what in the world that means. If you're a hyper grace person in 2020, that means live your life any way you want, because everybody's okay with God, because God's got it all. If you're a total depravity person, which which happened, you see, this happened just, just two to three years after Luther shook the church up like this, people began to say, well, then what does it take to get to God? Because up to that time, what did it take to get to God? Can I, can I tell you that this was also experienced in the last week in the life of this church? As there was somebody that had passed away, and somebody from the Catholic faith came in, and the first question you know what the first question that was asked was Have the prayers been said? Well, we've been praying for four days. We're Protestant. We've been praying for four days. And I can tell you that this person was like, well, yes, we've said prayers, but feel free to pray still. Because in 1517, in the foundations of our faith, there were specific prayers that had to be said as you passed over into that next life. And if those weren't said... So, you see, that's not grace alone. And Luther is saying... If you die and you don't have the priest there or you don't have somebody there that says the Our Fathers and and the prayers, then you don't don't get to make that journey the way God wants you to make that journey. Why? Because in some way there is something that is totally depraved about you and and you're not going to be able to do that. Well, that's an argument we had. And can I tell you, in 2020, that's an argument that you still have to decide. How do I get to God? Is it grace? And if it's grace, how much grace? Total grace? God's going to forgive everybody? Or God's going to forgive nobody? And everybody's got to work towards it? You see all the ways we've answered that? Martin Luther said this. And and we, we, when I say we, I mean United Methodists, have come to this place in this. We believe in the unmerited favor of God. In other words, there's nothing you can do to earn the grace of God. But we don't believe in total depravity. We don't believe that you are just an absolutely worthless individual that has no merit in and of yourselves. If that's true, then how do we deal with Genesis 2 when it says and God breathed his life into man and made us a living being? We do not believe in the United Methodist Church that we are just a total mess. We believe that there is merit within each and every person by virtue of the fact that we were made by God for a very specific and special purpose. But we don't believe that the merit that lives within you is enough to overcome the distance that we placed between ourselves and God in sin. In other words, there is no Nothing good in us. And, and if you want this, you go back to the book of Romans, because the book of Romans teaches, and you're going to have to take this serious. There is no good person. There is nobody that's righteous. Does that mean not righteous at all? No. What Paul was saying, there is nobody that is righteous enough to overcome the sin in their lives. We can't do it. Are we totally evil? No. You can't be totally evil and be a creation of God. But are you righteous enough to overcome the great gulf of sin? Remember, the question is, what happens to me when I die? Do I go to be with God? And if you don't care, then it's not an issue. Then it's not an issue. But if you care what happens to you in eternity, then you're going to have to take seriously what is truth, it's the Bible, and what is it that is necessary for me to be with God in eternity. Brothers and sisters, that's what religion is all about. If your questions are about social justice, the Bible has some things to say about that, but that is not the number one issue of the Bible. The Bible can tell you great things about whether you should be feeding the poor. But that is not what the Bible was about. It's not what the Bible was written. The Bible was written because there is a fundamental problem with humanity. We are separated from our Creator. And we are separated for eternity. And so what is the way to God? In this world and in the world that's to come. Martin Luther said, we need a reset of the church. The Bible tells us what's true and we are not good enough. We are not good enough. We can't do enough. We can't believe enough. We can't think enough. We can't work enough. We can't give enough to make our relationship with our Creator what it needs to be for now or for eternity. Grace alone. The unmerited favor of God. And he says from Titus, it is through Jesus Christ. And the final thing is what's the vehicle? So it's grace and it's scripture that teaches us. But the final vehicle, the final thing that we have to answer in 2020 is the same thing they had to answer in 1517. Through whom are you saved? And Martin Luther said, it is through faith in Christ alone. By Christ alone. It's not by our works. Religion had set all kinds of things up for the way that you could make it right with God. You could give. You could do penance. There's all kinds of things that you could do. And Luther in these 95 theses said, Let's be clear, there is no way to God other than through Christ. And these are the words of Christ himself to us in Scripture. You can go to the book of John, you can go anywhere you want in the New Testament, and and it just time and time again says, those who believe in me, Christ says, though they die, they shall live. And so, brothers and sisters, this Reformation Sunday, And I know this isn't one of those jazzy sermons about about application in the world, but this is a very important sermon that has to be preached every once in a while that says, here are the foundations of our faith. And they haven't changed from what Luther challenged the church on 500 years ago, and they haven't changed in 2,000 years since the time Christ came to this world. Because when Christ came to this world, everybody thought the law was going to get us to heaven. The law was going to make things right with God. And Jesus said, it's not the law. It's me. We spent 1,500 more years and we tried to put law back into that relationship with God. And Martin Luther said, we have missed the mark. It is by the truth of Scripture alone that we orient our life. It is by grace unmerited In other words, nothing that we can do, and it is through Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, those are the three things that mean life. Now, we can live our 80 years in this world and never be connected with God. It is possible, and you can be happy. I'm just going to tell you that. Don't let anybody tell you, because it's not true. People have earned enough money that in 80 years, they were able to be happy in this world but can I tell you in that 81st year when they were going to die all of a sudden they panicked what happens to me after I die what happens to me when this money won't buy me happiness anymore You, you can get married and be ecstatic for 30 years but then I've watched as marriages have fallen apart in the 35th year Why? Because the happiness just wasn't there anymore. In the Christian faith, we say these three things are what we build our lives upon. Life is built upon the truth of Scripture. It's built upon the grace of God, unmerited, unearned. He is going to give us grace even when we don't deserve it. If we do what? If we come to Christ in faith. In this world, for the world to come. Love to have conversations with anybody that says, because every one of those is a sermon. Every one of those is a sermon that could be preached. Love to have any conversations with anybody that says, Tim, but I don't know how to make that happen in life. I'd love to help you make that happen in life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that on this Reformation Sunday, you would ground us once again in the faith of our fathers and mothers. An unshakable faith that always led us in the past, and I believe God will lead us into a victorious future. When we focus, Lord, on your word, when we focus on the grace that you give that we do not deserve, and we focus on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who makes that grace, grace possible if we will give our lives to him. Lord, found this church upon that, found our lives and our families upon that, and may we march forward as your people sharing this good news. Amen. All right, please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May God lift up his countenance upon you, and may God give you peace. God is good, and all the time. Have a great week, everybody. God bless.